The Now the Pot Report. Here's Hashish correspondent Kelly Catrera in a joint report with Chris Creston. All righty. We haven't done a pot report for a while, but I like to focus on marijuana every once in a while because it's now legal and edibles are legal next month. And there are a lot of people who do not want to smoke, but are turning to vaping. And a study out of the University of Guelph suggests that vaping pot may dampen brain activity. To find out why, we are joined by Assistant Professor of Neuroscience at the University of Guelph, Gibran Kokar. Welcome to the program, sir. Good to have you on. Great to be here. Thank you. So what do you mean by uh, the THC may dampen brain activity when you're vaping? Yeah, so the first caveat I want to make here is that this is different from vaping pot and this is vaping THC specifically. So this is more in line with what might happen a month from now or it might be happening already, but uh, is when THC concentrates come on the market and those are vaped. This is more akin to that. Uh, okay. But I think there are some people doing that already, so I've heard from people. So um, if you're if you're vaping THC concentrates, um, you know, what do you mean by dampened brain activity? So the brain communicates within... So the different brain regions within the brain communicate with each other using what are often referred to as oscillations or brain waves. And these are um, waves that are predictive of or uh, summation uh, of all the electrical activity that might be happening in that brain region. And so what we see with this study is that that activity in a specific frequency band mm-hmm. is reduced in the brains of rats that were exposed to vaporized THC. You build them special vaping chambers, right, at the University of Guelph? Yes, uh, something we've uh, started doing just to deal with what's been happening out in the real world and trying to see how we can model it in animals the best that we can. So we've we've built chambers uh, that we can attach to dual e-cigarettes or um, to vaporizers, either dried herb or uh, for concentrates and oils. So um, we've been building this to both mimic the route of delivery, usually when they, when studies are done in animals or rats or mice, for example, the most common route of administration is through an injection. Mm-hmm. But that's not how most people take THC or cannabis or nicotine for that matter. And so we've been trying to make our work more translational or translatable to what is actually being done in the human population by building these uh, Apparatuses. Or, How long did that uh, take to do? It's it's been something that we've been working on, and so um, this first study that um, we just published was actually um, using a desktop volcano vaporizer, um, something that's often used by the aficionados. Um, but now we've moved more towards handheld vaporizers that then we hook up to a microcomputer and a pump to really get more discrete puffs and so we know how much uh, how many puffs the animal is getting exposed to and as a result we can make better predictions of what um, might be happening if somebody used that many puffs of a, a Julie cigarette for example. I know that you're you're an assistant uh, professor of neuroscience but did you take things apart when you were a kid rebuild oh. them and stuff <laughs> That's exactly where this 
uh, hobby comes from. Uh, um, I pretty much took every toy apart that I had, much to the chagrin of my parents, but uh, um, took apart cars, took out the motors to build other cars and boats that could run on the water. And so that is exactly where it comes from. So did that motivate the study? Did you think, okay, I I want to do a study on vaping, but wait a minute. I want to build a chamber as well because it's been a while. What what actually motivated this study? So, you know, they often say necessity is the mother of invention, right? So um, as a new starting assistant professor, I I started the lab January 2018. you don't have all the money in the world, and so you have to be resourceful. And that's where that, this drive primarily comes from. It's, um, yes, it helps that I like taking things apart and building stuff, but um, this really came from not having the resources to go out and buy a $120,000 piece of equipment that would then do the same thing. And so what we were able to do is build the same thing for $200. And were you trying to find out um, the, the correlation, the, the risk for someone with a genetic predisposition to, to uh, schizophrenia um, and if, they could, uh, if, if it could escalate when using THC in a vape? Uh, so that, that sort of is the the MO of the lab. We're looking to crack the chicken or egg question of not just cannabis use and schizophrenia, but substance use and schizophrenia more generally. Um, And so uh, why do patients with schizophrenia use substances at such a high rate? Do they tend to be more attracted to it? Is that what you're finding as far as stats go, that people with schizophrenia tend to lean towards substance abuse? Up to 90% of them smoke, Interesting. 50 to 60% of them drink alcohol and smoke cannabis. So the rates are generally anywhere between 3 to 10 times higher in patients with schizophrenia compared to the general public. And uh, this substance use is actually associated with a lot of the... Um, the mortality and morbidity seen in those patients, as you can imagine with cigarette smoking, but then also because it results in treatment noncompliance um, and really worsens the course of the disorder itself. So our utmost important goal is to try to figure out why they use it and then if we can possibly target those mechanisms to reduce the substance use in this population to reduce some of that morbidity and mortality. So with that in mind, what was your biggest finding when you did this study that involved uh, the THC vaping and the mice? So this, this study was really to set the groundwork. Um, so um, to exactly ask the question that you were just asking about, about genetic uh, vulnerability. And so what we wanted to do was take animals that are naive, uh, have never been exposed to any THC or any form of cannabinoid before, and have no genetic risk for anything, to see what vaping THC does to a normal animal with no risk for anything. And we saw that even that in these animals, that THC vaping of that THC can produce changes in the brain that are similar to what's been observed in humans before that were given intravenous THC, for example. And that those changes in the brain in that study correlated with symptoms or psychotic-like symptoms. And in addition to that, these, some of these changes are also similar to what's observed in patients with schizophrenia. So what we wanted to do was set the baseline. And now what we're doing in the lab is building on it. So taking animals that either have a genetic predisposition for um, cannabis use, lifetime cannabis use, for example. Um, what or, kind of animal uh, would that be? So uh, this, these 
these studies come are called what are called genome-wide association studies. So um, they look at the entire genome and assess what makes the people that have used cannabis in their lifetime different from those that haven't. Okay. And one of these genes that shows up is what's called a cell adhesion molecule 2 or CADM2. Um, and so what we've done now is actually gotten um, a line of animals in the lab that have uh, a modified or a knocked out version of that. But it's in their DNA. What, what kind of animals? So these are mice, and you can hmm. just, what you can do is modify these mice to either remove or add genes. And so what we can do is now take these animals and assess whether they show a differential um, likelihood of developing a cannabis use-like disorder. In addition to that, we're also taking animals that have been uh, have undergone uh, neurodevelopmental insult, which is one of the risk factors for schizophrenia. And we're taking those animals and then exposing them to vaporized THC or cannabis to see what's that change. You know, they were already at risk. Where does it take them now? Okay, so, um, so Professor, you know, there's people listening right now that are thinking, okay, what does this have to do with me and vaping, like the mice in the chamber? What, what, what's the practical application of what you're doing now? Yeah. So later, the 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 big question here is because we can't, uh, due to ethical considerations, and we can't. exactly go and study the brains of individuals that might be vaping uh, THC to see what's happening at the molecular level in the brain or at the the cellular level. And so that's why we use animals to get an idea of or see what changes might be happening. And then we can target those changes with the goal of developing possibly antidotes or treatments for reducing some potential of the harm. But the, the, the message for most people out there would be the, exactly the messaging that Health Canada has. Start low and go slow with, when it comes to THC. Um, and so um, even when the concentrates are out, if you're not somebody who's used them before, it's always going to be advisable to start with lower concentrations of THC because THC by itself is different from the cannabis plant. Cannabis plant has other things like cannabidiol, which Mm -hmm. might be an antipsychotic. But THC itself has been shown to be what's called a psychotomimetic, something that can produce an acute psychosis-like state in human studies. And so what the important messaging for the world would be to try to... Pay attention at the very least to the THC content of the concentrates or the oils or the edibles even because the way that you take it in really changes the effect of what you're taking in. And the the amount of THC in any of those, be it an edible or a concentrate, is what's going to determine how a person responds to it. So so I think that messaging... stays and needs to be consistent is to start low and go slow before going for the high. You know, now in Colorado, for example, and other places where this has been legalized, you can get shattered glass, which has, you know, 90% plus THC. And wow. So there, there, there are really high THC forms out there that wouldn't... That require caution. Right. Gibran, uh, I really appreciate your time today. I think the other message is if your kid wants to take their toys apart, you might want to let them because they uh, might be destined for something that could affect us in a very big way later on in life. 
And that is so true <laughs> because they could figure out the solution for climate change, which is something else. Oh, you're working on uh, Are you working I'm on not, that as well? I'm not, but we need somebody to do that. All so. right. Well, and the kids are our uh, our future when it comes to that, as you've seen in the last few days with Greta and others. So. Well, that's a good lead in. We'll get to Greta, some audio from Greta, if you don't know what Gibran is talking about next. And Gibran, I want to thank you very much for your time. Take care. Have a great day. He's assistant professor of neuroscience at the University of Guelph. Uh, is Professor Kokar.